Hello and welcome to the Henna Hundle Show. I'm your host, Henna Hundle. Here on the Henna Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Hannah Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm honored to share the air with our esteemed guest, President Sylvia Burwell. President Burwell is the 15th and current president of American University, the highly ranked private research university located in Washington, D.C. President Burwell has a long and illustrious career across many areas, including government, nonprofit work, and education. From 2014 to 2017, President Burwell was the 22nd United States Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Obama administration, a role during which she worked to tackle issues ranging from the Affordable Care Act to America's response to the Ebola epidemic occurring in West Africa. Following her role in the White House, President Burwell became the first female president of American University in June 2017. I'm very pleased to welcome President Burwell to the program to discuss her vision of education, one that incorporates a commitment to diversity, inclusion, civic engagement, and giving back. In addition, our interview will touch on how President Burwell's small-town upbringing helped her develop her community-centered convictions that also figure into her vision of education. Please join me now in welcoming President Burwell to the program. So President Burwell, you have a lengthy career in public service. In addition to your work in the Clinton and Obama administrations, you've also dedicated many years to work with foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So in light of your track record in service, I'm wondering how this idea of service integrates into your vision of education. Should a tenet of education be to inspire service or some commitment to giving back? And if so, how do we foster that in students? Well, I do believe that it is a part of what we do here when we are educating in an institution like American University. Mm -hmm. The emphasis both on scholarship and academic values of knowledge and knowledge creation are extremely important, but how one takes that knowledge and uses it is also very important in terms mm -hmm. of what one gains in a four-year time period when you come here as an undergraduate or when you come as a graduate student. So I'm very pleased to be at American University, which is a place where that very idea of service is embedded. At American University, our school isn't a school of international affairs. It's actually a school of international service. And so mm -hmm. we very closely uh, project those values and teach those values of the importance of change making, delivering impact, and believe that's something that's quite important to both our research and scholarship, but also to our students who come, go out and become productive citizens. I know another one of your areas of focus as president has been to ensure a commitment to the ideals of diversity and inclusion at American University. And, you know, in this historical and political moment in particular, which appears so fractioned and fraught with divisiveness, how are you working to ensure that education remains a welcoming space of inclusivity and places a premium on belonging? At, here at American University, we 
chosen an approach to live that out by an approach that's called inclusive excellence. And it is an approach to the issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity that was developed around 2005 and has been used by other academic institutions. What is, we believe, important about this approach is it's called inclusive excellence because embedded in the approach is the idea that for us to be an excellent institution, that you must have inclusion. And so the reason that you do this is embedded in your desire for excellence not simply your desire that this is something good. And that brings a broader community to the table in terms of everyone wanting to pursue that because who doesn't want to be at an institution that's excellent? The other part in terms of how one goes about achieving it is that inclusive excellence actually works across a number of different areas in institutions of higher learning. And when we spent time looking across the country at who's doing this well, what we found is people were doing pieces and parts, but you can't achieve overall long-term change in the institution unless you focus across different areas, advancing training, learning, and development, fostering a welcoming campus community, putting in place systems, policies, and procedures, fourth, providing access and equity in our own institution, and finally, to actually look at your own curriculum and instruction. And by working across all those areas, we hope to move our institution, American University, forward in a way that creates an inclusive and welcoming place to all. And that's all in terms of racial diversity, gender, um, sexual orientation, and including also political points of view. Uh, we want to make sure that our campus is welcoming to those who have differing points of view as well. Yeah, yeah. And in speaking of welcoming individuals with different points of view and fostering those kinds of discussions, I understand that in September 2018, American University announced that the Sign Institute of Policy and Politics would be coming. How do you hope that the creation of this institute will help cultivate healthy political discussion and promote a sense of civic engagement among students? So one of the reasons that we hope the Sign Institute will instill that kind of conversation and discussion and inclusion of all is we actually start our institute with policy. Uh, I'm sure you are very familiar with an institute of politics that exists, but ours is an institute of policy and politics. And by grounding the work of this institute in the policy and the substance, we hope to bring people back closer to a conversation around the substance, which we believe is a way to help get people focused on civil discourse and bringing mm -hmm. differing points of view. By starting with the substantive issues, what is it we agree on? What is it we disagree on? What is the substance? Instead of using shorthand and words to describe things like Obamacare in one that I'm quite familiar with, actually, what does it mm -hmm. mean? to talk about the healthcare issues and to do that in ways that bring differing voices. At our institute, we hope to have everything from former politicians to business folks to artists to athletes, all those that are a part of the fabric that contribute to what policy and policy implementation is in our country. Right, completely. And, you know, I understand that you grew up in a small town with a population just shy of 3,000 in West Virginia. And you've spoken before about how coming from a small town has remained an important part of your identity. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what hailing from a small town taught you about community. 
you know, what it is, how we form it, and how you've strived to bring those community-centered ideals to your work in education. Being from a small uh, town in West Virginia, I think, has uh, given me the opportunity to see community up close and firsthand. And that is about seeing how your actions can impact positively and in Mm -hmm. some cases negatively the community. When it's that small, you see and know everyone uh, in your community. And so my community was larger, it was smaller than all of the Harvard undergraduates. If you think about it, when I went to um, college, my class was almost half over oh half the gosh. size of my town. And so that sense of community and the support that you have from community. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate when I grew up to have the support of my town. And that's everything from when I was the captain of our current events team and we went to the uh, championships and were facing off of other mm-hmm. larger schools. What happened was elementary school students actually stopped to watch they could actually watch TV during class so they could see us compete to, you know, the board of the bank, the chairman of the board of the bank sent a handwritten note to us and the team saying, we're so proud of you. And so understanding what that means in terms of that kind of support for the activities you do and the things that you're trying to achieve has something that was instilled. And it's also a place where People do a lot of service and giving back because that's how the community functions. So those things, bringing those to the academy, thinking about our community uh, as that kind of place where we support each other in whether that's the scholarship, the research, the work that our staff's doing to support our students and to try and engender that sense of community and support. Yeah, totally. And finally, I wanted to ask you about the dichotomy, or perhaps it's not a dichotomy, but between liberal arts education versus technical or vocational training. And increasingly in this era where a lot of emphasis has been put on equipping students with the tools they need to thrive in a technological world, do you feel there to be a kind of tension between these two educational paradigms, or do you think there's still room for both? I think that we can be a world of and, not or, in terms of the issues of preparing students for the things that they need in the workforce and preparing students for the long term in terms of liberal arts education. I think as we focus on what people need at what times when, we need to think that the education that we're providing at four-year colleges is about not just the first job, it's about the fourth, the fifth, the sixth Mm -hmm. job, because the world is very different for students and young people like yourself, because you'll go through many different jobs and possibly many different careers. And the best thing that we can do is provide critical problem-solving skills, the ability to solve complex, the ability to write and communicate, the ability Mm -hmm. to use data analytics, the ability to think about differing types of things, and the ability to work in an inclusive environment and work with others in terms of the problem solving that you do. And I was so fortunate to receive a strong liberal arts education that has served me in jobs as broad-ranging as when I was the director of the Office of Management and Budget to being president of a university. And I still remember taking cellular communication, which was part of our core, and it was not about phones, contrary Mm -hmm. to what everyone would think. (laughs) It was the basics of biology and science that have served me in everything when I was uh, funding 
the energy department at the U.S. government and understanding actually how nuclear energy and nuclear explosions work. It Mm -hmm. served me throughout that time, and whether it's the arts and what I learned at what was then called Darkness at Noon, which was the a fine arts course that was taught at noon and where I learned about all kinds of art and how that connects to both culture and mm-hmm. substance throughout our history. And so the basis of that I think is so important, and I am a very strong proponent. I think we also have to focus on what are the needs of institutions and businesses who want our students, whether that's the academy or businesses. I think mm-hmm. both can be done. But I think it's important to try not to pit, but to ask how much of when, where, in terms of when you need certain types of specific skills and when you need broad thinking skills. And that was an interview with President Burwell, shedding light on her work as president of American University and offering her vision of education, one that embodies ideals including inclusion, diversity, civic engagement, and giving back. I'm incredibly grateful again to President Burwell for joining me for this conversation. Effective education is no doubt a key mainstay of any thriving society. But in this ever-changing world, I think it's critically important to think about the ways in which we can reimagine education to better serve students and better equip them with the tools for the future. So in light of that, I really valued today's conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it too. You have been listening to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.